0: Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Now Bali podcast. This week, our publisher Alistair Spears takes over the airwaves and shares his thoughts and analysis of tourism and the new vision that Bali, and in fact all of Indonesia, should embrace in order to reopen the industry in the most effective and efficient way possible going forward. So, without further ado, enjoy the show.
1: Hello again, this is Alistair Spears, publisher of Now Jakarta and Now Bali magazine, bringing you another podcast about one of the critical factors in the return to normal or the return to the new normal. In this case, we're talking about the return of tourism, or should I say the potential return of tourism. As borders begin to open again, and hotels reopen their doors, we really have to think very carefully about what it is we are selling. Tourism is one of the world's biggest industries and one of the most important employers. And in Indonesia, it is vitally important as a foreign exchange earner and an employer. It can also bring much-needed development to remote areas where no one is going to build factories, offices or malls. But tourism needs a master plan to succeed, not just in terms of numbers of arrivals, which is just the most stupid method of measuring success invented, but to really benefit both the receiving community and the visitors. I have argued for 25 years that Indonesia's measure of tourism, in counting bodies arriving, is completely worthless and in fact misleading. So before we go into the real details of what should be done, let's get rid of this myth first. A short haul tourist from Southeast Asia, for example, comes to Indonesia for an average stay of, say, four days, three nights. They pay approximately forty US dollars per night equivalent for a hotel and spend roughly the same on food, entertainment and shopping. That's a total expenditure of US two hundred and forty. A long haul visitor on the other hand, from Europe or USA, spends an average of $100 per night on a hotel and has an average of 11 days, 10 nights. They also spend approximately the same on extras. That's $2,000 per person. So our short-haul short-stay visitor spends 12% of our long-haul long-stay but is counted equal in the government's eyes. But actually, we need eight of them to equal the spending power of the long-stay guest. That's right, eight people rather than one. So by going for the mass-market, short-haul, low-value tourists, we quickly get numbers. But what does that bring? More wealth? More prosperity? No, more trouble. Because Mr. Shorthall consumes electricity and water, produces waste, stays in rapidly built, uneco-friendly, non-culturally sensitive hotels, eats fast food, sees no culture, adds nothing to the destination except his presence, which requires more capacity at the airport and more transport on the roads. If Bali as I recommended 20 years ago, only concentrated on high-value, low-volume tourism. We would only have one or perhaps two million visitors a year, bringing the same total income to Bali, but without pollution and waste, water and electricity shortages, traffic jams, parking problems, and the need to build huge airports and massively expensive toll roads out at sea. But no one listened, and here we are today, Desperate to bring back the masses, thinking they are the answer to all the problems. They are not. They are the problem. So that's point one. Go for quality, not quantity. But actually, it segues beautifully into point two, which is that quality tourism actually benefits the communities it visits, because the high-value tourist is usually also more interested in art and culture, visits, admires, and respects historical and cultural sites, goes to dance performances, keeping local cultures vibrant, buys local handicrafts, also preserving those skills, eats local food, and stays in hotels and villas chosen for sustainability and retaining local customs and values. These are the people we want and need, especially in Indonesia, where we have the unique cultures to entrance them with. Many studies have shown the increased benefit of focusing on cultural tourism because of the demographic it attracts. Generally older, well-educated, richer tourists spending longer times, spending more money, appreciating more of the destination. These are the people we want, and they are the same people we can encourage to visit other parts of Indonesia. So this is point three, Indonesia's cultural riches. We are extremely blessed with unique cultures throughout the world's biggest archipelago. But because we have devolved administrative authority down to regency, that's Kabupaten locally, levels, we have divided the tourism products into administrative zones, not cultural areas. The best or worst Example of this is that the Borobudur temple is in central Java, administered by its capital Semarang, but geographically next to Yogyakarta, which is a separate administration. Do you think they always work together in harmony? Maybe not. But the beauty, strength and potential of Indonesian tourism lies in its cultural roots and must be taken back to national level so that the disruptive bickerings of rival regencies are taken out of the equation. We need to look at the historical and cultural boundaries of the Bataks in North Sumatra, the Minangkabau in West Sumatra, the Javanese, the Sundanese, the madurese the Badui, all on the island of Java, the Bugis and the Torajans in Sulawesi, the Dayaks in Kalimantan, the Balinese, the Sasaks in Lomba, and Lombok, and so on. Boundless, brilliant, breathtaking. And I haven't even got to the Nusa Tengaras, the Ambonese, the Papuans. We are blessed beyond description. But what do we do? Stick our visitors in crammed beach clubs in Bali, where not one molecule of culture permeates, where they could just as easily be in Ibiza or Mallorca as in Bali, and we call this success in tourism. All the ethnic groups mentioned above have their own traditions, their own architecture, their own songs and dances, their own art and handicrafts, their own cuisine. And what do we worship? Organic vegan foods in Changu, served by Aussie-trained Melbourne chic cafe chefs. And we call this success in tourism. We haven't even started. The government's plan for 10 new Bali's has met, has some merit in it, so far as it tries to push visitors to some of Indonesia's great destinations. But it is doing it without reference to the original cultures which will, can, and must be the center of those brands. Not 10 new Bali's, but one old Taraja, one old Toba, one old Bukit Tinki but revitalized, re-energized, based on their own traditions. To allow Indonesia's motto, unity in diversity, to take real root in tourism. Diversity based on culture, history and geography. Diversity which can sell around the world at top prices. Forget amazing Thailand and Malaysia, truly Asia. Bring on Indonesia, cultural treasure house of the world.
0: Thank you everyone for listening to another episode of the Now Bali podcast. That was our publisher, Alistair Spears, sharing his vision for tourism in Indonesia. You can hear more from him in the Now Jakarta podcast, our sister magazine. In the previous episode of Now Bali, I mentioned we'd be featuring a special guest, Richard Horseman, Bali art expert. This will be coming in our next podcast episode. So any art lovers, or if you're just art curious, stay tuned for that. This is Eddie Spears, and you're listening to the Now Bali podcast. See you next time.